Hi, everybody. Welcome to the History Respawn podcast. I'm your host, Bob Whitaker, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Dr. John Harney. John, how are you doing? I'm good, Bob. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Thank you very much. Um, So on this episode, listener, uh, we are going to be going through a little bit of uh, the remainder of the not E3 news that came out uh, this month related to history and games. And uh, and then the second half of this episode is going to be a, a broadcast of a Civs 101 episode. We've gotten some uh, notes, uh, some, uh, some gentle, some not so gentle notes from our patrons on Patreon uh, saying that they appreciate having the Civs 101 video audio uh, put on the podcast feed. Uh, so we're going to do that. Uh, for the remainder of the summer, and that'll probably save us some time from recording <laughs> new <laughs> new podcast. Not that we don't enjoy it, but this is a good thing to do, I think, during the summer as we're kind of going off and uh, doing other work and then going on vacations and traveling far away. Hopefully, fingers crossed, knock on wood, being able to use airlines, but we'll see. Uh, but John, there was a lot of news uh, after we finished recording our last podcast uh, related to not E3 news. There was a lot of news coming out of Ubisoft uh, about Assassin's Creed, which is celebrating uh, the 15th anniversary of the Assassin's Creed series, which uh, makes me feel very old. How do you feel, John? <laughs> Oh, God. I have uh, vivid memories of being deeply annoyed by the last 45 minutes of that game in my apartment in Austin, Texas. Yeah. 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 That's my. I actually distinctly remember where I was sitting and how it <laughs> felt, how bewildering it was. For those who haven't played Assassin's Creed 1, it's a rudimentary version of any Assassin's Creed game you have played until it randomly becomes a weird like tunnel of death you're just i don't know it's so weird it's such a weird ending to that game i i always think i always tell people you know because a lot of them have experience a lot of my students have experience with recent assassin's creed games origins and odyssey and valhalla and they ask sometimes about assassin's creed one and i say well the last 45 minutes is essentially a dark souls game (laughs) yeah (laughs) just it's, it's just punishing um, got uh, a news article here pulled up uh, from GameSpot kind of rehashing uh, what is going on with Assassin's Creed. And so there's no news yet about uh, the next game. Uh, there's kind of long been rumored uh, there's going to be a kind of a free-to-play online version of Assassin's Creed coming up. We still haven't got any more news about that. Uh, GameSpot and other uh, news outlets are telling us that we'll get more information about the next Assassin's Creed title uh, in September, I think mid-September. Uh, but until then, we've got some more news related to uh, Valhalla. Uh, so for Valhalla, there it's getting a new uh, roguelite mode uh, called Forgotten Saga. Uh, and in this version, you play as uh, Odin uh, trying to run through uh, basically a roguelite mode of uh, Valhalla in which they are, you know, facing off against more and more difficult enemies. Uh, they kind of mentioned here in this article, part of the inspiration for that is uh, the indie game Hades, which we covered uh, for uh, History Respawn. So, you know, we'll see what that's like. Uh, there's also going to be a new uh, free uh, story DLC update uh, for Valhalla, which makes me feel a little bit weird, John, because I never actually finished <laughs> Valhalla. Uh, but there will be, for people who did uh, finish that story, there's going to be a little bit of an extra story DLC that comes out uh, at the end of this year. Uh, and then kind of more pertinent for our interest here at History Respawn, 
uh, it was announced that uh, the Valhalla Discovery Tour mode, uh, which is called Viking Age, uh, is getting a standalone uh, uh, game version. So you can just buy uh, the Discovery Tour Viking Age by itself. You don't have to buy uh, Valhalla as well. And in addition, uh, Ubisoft has also debuted uh, the new curriculum guide uh, for using their Discovery Tour modes in the classroom. And so on the Ubisoft uh, homepage, uh, there's a link to Discovery Tour. And this uh, Discovery Tour curriculum guide uh, is been done in partnership with uh, McGill University in Canada, a very um, prestigious uh, university in Canada. And uh, this curriculum guide uh, has modules available for all of the Discovery Tour modes that have come out thus far. And so that includes uh, the Discovery Tour for Ancient Egypt, Ancient Greece, uh, and then Viking Age. And uh, for each of these uh, curriculum guides, and I'll open this page here, uh, they have got uh, kind of a set of academic modules. I think there's seven or eight of them here for uh, Viking Age uh, that you can go online and look at. Uh, even if you're not an educator, you can freely download these. Um, and each one of these uh, lesson plans, uh, lesson plan modules, uh, comes along with advice for instructors uh, to try to make use of uh, Discovery Tour in the classroom. Uh, and I, you know, this is kind of geared because it's coming from McGill. Uh, it's kind of geared for university students, but, uh, you know, with the kind of setup of the modules and the relation uh, with those modules to time, uh, they've got like kind of a, a recommendation here of a number of classes, uh, two classes for 40 minutes. Um, so this could be used in secondary level schools um, as well. Uh, and it even says in the learner level section of this module, uh, that is a, a kind of a medium learner level, which is kind of like, uh, you know, secondary school, but then also kind of early college uh, level. Uh, and I used to, I spent five years at Louisiana Tech University writing uh, academic modules that looked exactly like this. Uh, and looking at the module just uh, for the first uh, Discovery Tour Viking Age lesson plan, um, you know, this is definitely something that has gotten a lot of uh, input uh, from academics. I can just tell with the way that this module is set up, uh, the way that they are investing the time, and then also listing out the learning objectives here. Uh, so, yeah, um, I, I'd kind of like to have some more time uh, to look these over. Um, but, you know, John, what do you, just on the first blush here, what do you make of this? Yeah lesson module that we've got um i'm pleasantly surprised i mean like the mcgill branding is there but like you say you know it's just very obviously been done by academics um or yeah 100 percent are like people who work in pedagogy i think um you know going back real quick to the the 15, 15 year anniversary i remember when that game came out it wasn't a sleeper hit exactly but I remember it was just kind of like oh this turns out this game is pretty good and you know and the people are like oh this is good and and we had no you know, it was like, oh, good for Ubisoft. They've got a big hit in their hands. But I think there was no real understanding of how huge it was going to become and what an impact it's going to have on, like, our lives, Bob. <laughs> and, and, um, and you know, the roguelite Valhalla stuff, it's just funny to me because it's almost the sense that Ubisoft is like, how can we make it so the only game you ever play is, like, 
an Assassin's Creed game, like your computer boots straight into it or something. So with this, I mean, I, I'm really pleasantly surprised because for years they've, you know, Ubisoft have been interested in the academic side. These, for people who don't work in teaching or work, don't work in academia, these kind of guides, I mean, some people can take them or leave them. I'm not somebody who, I'm not very big on rubrics and I'm not very big. The word learning goals gives me a little bit of like traumatic <laughs> gotcha. response. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, but having said that, I mean, it's a great way to lay out, hey, here's an approach. And so there are people who will, I think, take these learning plans and follow them pretty closely. And I think there are people who'll take them and just, you know, having this as your starting point to then mess with and edit to, to the extent that you want to do that, or even to take it honestly as a model for a different video game. Yeah, This is doing so much of that early work for, for, for teachers. And that early work, one, it's obviously very time consuming, but it can also be kind of intimidating because people who care about doing a good job and want to do a really good job, they don't want to screw up. Like these are, you know, you don't want to screw up somebody's semester, you know, or you don't want to waste their time. And you and I, Bob, maybe you'll talk about this as well. Like we had this at the conference back in January. Part of this is generational. We are meeting more and hearing from more and more and more and more people who are beginning as teachers or who are interested in expanding as teachers. They want to do something like this and they're not sure how to exactly. get the boulder exactly. rolling. And so when I see this, that's really exciting because now we can go, well, you could do that. And, and frankly, between whether it's, um, you know, there, and there's different kind of ways now. You might have to pay Ubisoft a monthly fee or something, but there's different ways you can get students up and running on a game as well. Yeah. And, you know, I, uh, I got in a recent uh, somewhat of a Twitter argument uh, with another academic online about this lesson plan debut and the partnership with McGill University to help Ubisoft with this. And, you know, the, the, the gist of that argument was that, well, McGill are kind of debasing themselves by oh, working with Ubisoft, or it's kind of the tendrils of AAA capitalism is getting into the universities. And you know, my uh. response to that is that it's already there. I don't know. Yeah, you know, exactly. I don't know if you're familiar with the learning industrial complex, but it, <laughs> it's way, way past that. Like a game company doing it instead of a textbook company or learning management software. I mean, it's apples to apples, honestly. Um, and from my perspective, like you were saying, John, you know, for academics who are in the trenches, who are trying to do a good job who are trying to come up with compelling lesson plans and who are having students approach them about games, this is, it's not, it's nobody has to download these, right? No, there. Mm -hmm. it's not like McGill is forcing their instructors to use this. It's not like, uh, you know, Ubisoft is uh, forcing people to use this. This is a, a, a useful recommendation about how you could incorporate these things and, it's not at all the case that an instructor has to take this whole cloth. You know, like you said, like, you right. know, with the lesson plans I used to write, I was expecting people to change and adapt, right? It's just like, this is a recommendation. This is how you could set something like this up, but it doesn't have to look like this. Um, and so I just think, like you were saying, John, there are tons of people down in the trenches doing the work who mm -hmm. want to do a good job and they want to incorporate this stuff. And mm -hmm. so... All of this lesson plans, all of these are available freely online, and I think that's great. Like, I'm sorry, I know that people get grossed out by you know AAA games and by these mm -hmm. big companies, but 
you know, as somebody who also teaches in the trenches, like this is just a, a part of academic life. And so, you know, if you've got a problem with this, then you've got a problem with textbooks. You've got a problem with learning management software. Um, yes. I can't really help you. Like, I, I <laughs> you know, I can't reinvent the wheel uh, for you. But I think that I'm really thrilled that this is this is here and people could go to this and I have something to point to. Now, as to how good these lesson plans are, I have no idea. I haven't tried them, but it's there. It's advice. It's a recommendation. So, you know, we'll see what happens. I think they're. I think they're. Um, um, I think there's a lot going on there. Like you could definitely take this learning lesson and, frankly, do a pretty bad job. You know, and that's not even just looking at like the first page of um, you know the first lesson plan which Bob is screen sharing with you right now. Um, you know, yeah, you could, you could do a super, um, yeah, you could, you could not get into the complexities of the topics that are here, but I look, you know, class two lesson objectives, understand the significance of a person or clan's honor. Uh, number two, identify the role of fashion in Viking culture. Number three, define the importance of family in Viking culture. Yeah. You could use those tools. And if you don't go anywhere past those three ideas, or, you know, you could do that badly, but you mm -hmm. could do it well as well. And so where I would have sympathy, I worked at a liberal arts college. So we, we just started a business major is starting this coming year. And there was lots of discussion over it. Lots of people are very concerned about it. Is this terrible? Is this bad? Is this who we, who we are? And it's like, well, there's separate issues going on, right? So like I've been around academic situations where some people have taken material like this and um, ideas like this and uses a way to get around curricular requirements for history or arts appreciation or whatever so that computer science professors can teach it yeah. you know yeah i've seen that happen um you know down in louisiana there's a lot of discussion right now about whether or not you know because they have a big history with french culture um and there's now it might be on the books already there's discussion putting on the books uh, that you could use a coding language as your language requirement and not a human language yep. and these are they're issues, but they're kind of separate. So, like, I mean, I'm agreeing with you, Bob, in the sense that, like, this stuff is kind of already happening. And the existence of these plans, I mean, honestly, I, I obviously I'm biased here, but I think that it's wonderful that McGill's involved. And I think that more colleges should be doing that of like, hey, we're going to be proactive about it. And we're going to make sure that there's somebody out there showing you this is how you do it well. Yeah. That's the only realistic way, I think, to combat the very real fears that some people have. It's like, you got it. You've got to get in there and get involved and show, well, this is how to do it right. Yeah. Because not doing it, I'm, again, I'm biased. I just think that not doing it isn't an option. Yeah. I really, I just really believe that. Completely agree. I completely agree. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, if you were to think about this in a gross way and be like, oh, well, you know, Ubisoft is just doing this to to sell their game. And it's like, well, that's true. But, you know, I don't know. You know, again, I, I feel I feel like I just the people that I meet on Twitter, they're not the best. But uh, I just feel <laughs> like they're just not it's not realistic. Like and, you know, with Ubisoft, you know, they've separated Discovery Tour, these modes from the main game. And so those Discovery Tour modes are $20 a piece and they run just about on any modern PC or any modern console. And so you're saying to me that, well, that's gross, but, you know, and then turning a blind eye to the textbook industry where, you know, like a yeah, biology yeah. textbook no could cost you $200 uh, or you know, some academics who assign monographs for their history classes, those monographs can cost 80 to 90, you know, upwards of $100. So is this that much worse than that? I, 
I don't think so. Um, I really don't. So I and can, they can't do it for free. You they know? can't do it for I mean, free. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, it, I mean, sorry, I apologize to the listener, but I just uh, <laughs> it it really bothers me. I think you know, like John said, that there's no way to avoid this. So why not try to making something that uh, can fit into current academic policies and current academic approaches. And I, I see that here in these modules created by McGill, right? Um, this looks exactly like something I would have written a couple years ago when I was still working at Louisiana Tech. So does it work? I don't know, but you know, somebody's obviously put a lot of time and effort into devising these things. So yeah, I'm curious to see who picks this up, you know, who uses it. I kind of wonder, you know, again, how many secondary students in America or in North America are studying Viking culture to begin with. Um, but to the extent that they might be, and they have earnest, hardworking teachers and professors who want to make use of these games, then this is a great resource, right? You know, it's mm -hmm. it's great. It's fantastic. So take that haters uh all right and then uh, in kind of last uh ubisoft news interesting ubisoft news uh we learned uh that uh, skull and bones uh the game that has uh been in the works at ubisoft since at least 2017 uh may be headed towards release on november 8th uh, after years of troubled development and this is according to a story from uh, ign uh, and so uh, the last significant update that we got about Skull and Bones uh, was uh, E3 2018. There was a elite gameplay trailer uh, that showed the content that was shown to journalists uh, for E3 2018. Uh, and, uh, you know, back then the game looked kind of like uh, a mix between Assassin's Creed 4, Black Flag, uh, the kind of seafaring combat in that game. Uh, and then, uh, you know, something like uh, uh, Sea of Thieves, uh, you know, created by Rare and kind of a multiplayer, uh, persistent multiplayer uh, atmosphere uh, and environment. Uh, but, you know, there's been news since then, uh, particularly in 2021, that the game got a complete reboot. And so we don't really have confirmation yet as to what this game is actually going to be. Right, we don't know. Uh, you know, it could have been completely changed, and it probably was completely changed since 2018. So, I don't know. We'll see what that happens with that. Uh, any thoughts on Skull and Bones, John? Any interest? Well, just people. Some people online are reminding us that it's entirely possible this game is happening because the Singaporean government signed a deal with Ubisoft that means Ubi like it has to come out, mm -hmm. um, like come hell or high water. So. I hope it ends up being, you know, to use a kind of a sports analogy, people sometimes call it like a free hit um, in the sense that like COVID has been awful. Obviously, um, this game clearly has had a very troubled, uh, you know, production, to, which is, you know, these things happen. So if it ends up being good, we can all be happy and celebrate that fact and be really happy for the people involved in it. And if it is not great we'll all just walk away and we'll never be spoken of again that's kind of you know what i mean because yep. like video game fans and listen i've been guilty of this myself we've such a bad habit of like oh let's all pile on and be really livid 
that this thing that I played no role whatsoever in creating was not the exact thing I wanted. I think that's a really unfortunate thing that we're struggling to shake as a community. Yep. So let's let's do it, everybody. Skull and Bones is our test run to just not care if it's bad. Let's stop, being, of, let's, let's stop being so entitled, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know. yeah, and I say this for myself. This is not, I'm not pointing the finger. Yeah. Well, I oh, guess I no. am, but yeah, well, also myself. I, I'm also, yeah, I'm in that group as well. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and so that does it for the Ubisoft news. Again, we'll find out about the next uh, Assassin's Creed game sometime in September. So, you know, I guess look forward to that. So, you know, I'm sure it's going to be something on the similar scale to Valhalla. I think the days of the, the kind of small uh, Assassin's Creed 1 style AC game are uh, well and truly behind us. Um, and uh, so just here at the end, I thought I would run through a, a list of some of the games that have... Uh, come out or trailers have come out news has come out uh from this past uh not e3 uh window uh here in early june mid-june uh and john i'm just kind of running through a list that's been provided sure. by vice games uh and some of those games you know are history related but then others are kind of big tentpole games like starfield from bethesda uh diablo 4 gameplay trailer uh callisto protocol and i'm just wondering do you have any thoughts about any of these games any of these titles anything you're looking forward to in particular um i'm kind of uh um um i'm already in mourning for the kind of the the current dry spell we're in uh created by covid where i'm still not catching up on my backlog and realizing <laughs> that it's just never going to happen um i mean yeah i think we probably are i think i'm sure you and i are both interested in the re4 remake as resident evil stands as i believe the kids say i'm like a broken record now but i just just keeps hitting me oh my god i feel so old like flashback to um a saints row <laughs> remake which is interesting um you know there's just so many kind of remakes slash revisit slash remasters it's just it's crazy to me how how large a component that is of upcoming games now you know yeah. what i mean um redfall is one that you see what you're going through um uh, well, no, I'm trying to think. What's the heist one set in Southeast Asia? It's not Redfall. It's the oh, other one. That's yeah, be what crazy. is that? Is it down further? Oh, I'm, it might be down here. Sorry, listeners. Um, it's probably... I'm sorry. <laughs> Look, I, this is my skill I do know what you're talking podcast. about, though. Uh, oh, it's going to drive me crazy. I don't so, remember yeah, the that name. That one, everybody. That one intrigues me, but maybe it, maybe that was a bit quiet during Naughty 3. But uh, yeah, I'm just glad. Um, I, I look forward to um, wistfully looking video games I don't play, um, which will be a lot of it. And I mean... I guess the age we are, Final Fantasy games will never not be exciting. Yeah. You yeah. know, like it's just, I just can't help it, you know. Um, Final Fantasy. Are you, one thing I'm really interested in is the announcement and the response to the announcement that uh, Naughty Dog is uh, creating a remake of the original Last of Us. Uh, and the original Last of Us, in case you don't remember, uh, came out, I believe, in 2013. Uh, so less than 10 years ago <laughs> and it is being remade oh, uh, for modern consoles and I assume also for PC uh, so yeah that that's a little odd but I don't know I, I think it fits in with the kind of current trend in gaming to remake recent games you know we see this with uh, Final mm -hmm. Fantasy with Resident Evil um, and you know, I think uh, people who kind of protest this move, I get it, but I also look at 
the kind of history of Nintendo as a game developer, and they've essentially been remaking the same four or five games for the past 40 That's years. Right. So, I, I, you know, I, I feel like we get into this mode of thought that, you know, well, we're just not getting enough new stuff from games. And I think that's true, but yeah. I also think this is kind of what games have always done. They've always done this. I, I don't think this move by Naughty Dog is that different from what you see year in, year out with uh, Nintendo, right? And th- there's people out there, I just read a story yesterday, uh, somebody during Nintendo's, um, I think, you know, report to uh, investors, uh, somebody uh, using their time at this stockholders meeting to uh, complain that Nintendo hasn't made an update to uh, the F-Zero series. <laughs> That's right. And I think, you know, it's one thing to complain, yes, we need new stuff, but I also think that sometimes the old stuff and kind of reliving the past is of paramount interest to game players. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I would say myself, uh, included so yeah so just kind of an interesting time uh for games and a lot of remakes and not much new ip but i would argue that that kind of falls in line with the history of games in general well there's an interesting historical point there i think of the sheer capitalist dna of the of the the medium the hobby the art form whatever you want to call it i mean there are people who like to play classic video games there's quite a lot of those people um there are people who will go and get themselves just the right crt monitor to play it just the right way etc etc but games is astonishingly mercenary in the sense of like um we'll just remake it you know just play it again so like if they can go with remaking the last of us every 10 years the rest of my natural life they'll just do that and that's just no like if you remade the original rocky movie now with like some young actor i don't know who playing like Sylvester Sloan's car, playing Rocky and everything. That would be weird. You know, it could be amazing, but like there's really no guarantee. And video games are like, yeah, we're pretty ha- we're pretty sure people will like it more than the earlier version. So it's really, I don't know, it's very interesting to me. Um, and it's a very kind of a, it's, it's kind of a weird thing to think about. There's this relentlessness, I think, that's built into video game culture that's hard to, like there's lots of discussions now about how do we keep hold of these older copies of games. It's really hard because as much as there's lots of people who who love that and who care about that, there's just so many people involved in the production and consumption of video games who just don't care. And not in some like bad way, not bad people or anything like that. It's just it's just not on the radar at all. Because mm-hmm. it's not the way the game it's not the way games work. Like like in film, you must watch Billy Wilder's movies, you know, if you're a serious person. Like in your first year of your film degree. You must make sure you see, you know, Chinatown with Jack Nicholson and stuff. It's like I guess in theory, video games is like that, but is it really? Like, do you need to play Super Mario Brothers 2 to understand how weird it was? <laughs> <laughs> you certainly don't need to play it on an original Super Nintendo no. on a CRT no. monitor. I mean, there are those who would argue you do, but I don't think you nah. do. Nah. Yeah. It's yeah. too cumbersome. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 All right. Well, uh, that does it for kind of a roundup of uh, not E3 news, uh, Ubisoft news. Um, and I think that brings us to the end of the show. John, is there anything, lasting thoughts, anything you want to talk about that we didn't touch on here already? No. No, I'm excited for Sibs 101. Bring it on. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so we'll listener, sit here and listen to it. That's how yeah, we're recording it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so listeners, stay tuned to a, a rebroadcast of a Sibs 101 episode i haven't chose the episode yet so uh yeah this will be 
this will be a thrilling development even for me, uh, <laughs> the producer of this show. Uh, but thanks to John for joining me on this episode. Thank to you, listener, uh, for listening. Uh, and stay tuned uh, to uh, the podcast feed for uh, new episodes, rebroadcasts of all shows. Uh, and then also uh, check us out on historyrespawn.com for um, any new uh, you know, video updates. But then also I've been I've been threatening to write something for the History Respawn website for about a month and a half. So I, I might finally sit down and do that. And we'll see. But uh, thanks again. And until next time, goodbye. Hi, and welcome to Civs 101, the show where historians discuss Sid Meier's Civilization series. I'm your host, Bob Whitaker. On today's episode, we'll be looking at the German Civ, led in Civilization VI by Frederick Barbarossa. Like a lot of the Civs that we've covered early on in Civs 101, the Germans are one of the original 14 Civs and have been in the series for the past three decades. However, as Sid Meier recently revealed in his memoir, the Germans were nearly replaced at the last minute by the Turks because of long-standing issues related to modern history and censorship in Germany. In a lot of ways, when it comes to studying the high-wire act of depicting difficult historical topics in video games, there's no better case study than looking at how the Civilization series has and has not depicted German history and its leaders. To help me better understand the issues related to depicting German history and popular culture, and to consider the Germans in Civilization VI more specifically, I've invited onto the show Dr. Jeremy Best. Dr. Best is an assistant professor of modern Germany at Iowa State University. He earned his PhD from the University of Maryland at College Park. His book, entitled Heavenly Fatherland, was published by the University of Toronto Press in 2021. Jeremy's newest project will consider the history of wargaming and its relationship with Holocaust memory. Jeremy, welcome to Civs 101. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be here, Bob. I'm really excited to talk about this. If you had told 10-year-old me that he was going to get to, I don't know, be on the radio, I would have known podcasting, to talk about a game he was playing uh, however many years later. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what I would have thought. It's 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 pretty exciting to be doing this. Honestly. Awesome, awesome. Well, welcome. <laughs> um, so, uh, first thing, uh, I ask this question of everybody who comes on the show: mm -hmm. uh, What's your experience with the Civilization series, and what do you make of the way that it presents the past? Sure, In my experience. I, I already sort of said. I, I think I I played Civilization One uh, on a on a I think it was on an Apple. 2GS, maybe it may have been uh, a 486 IBM. Uh, I think my brother had got it, and I played that game uh, pretty hard and stuck with it through. I don't think I, I don't think I spent much time on two, but three, four, uh, five, and now six have, have been sort of staple games for me. Uh, it took me a little while to get started on six because I had to wait for a the, the opportunity to get a better computer, honestly. <laughs> um, because I had been I had been working on the same computer I bought uh, right after I right when I was writing my dissertation I got a new computer and so I I've been grinding on a, a very incapable computer for a long time uh, so I've been playing it for a long time uh, how it represents history you know it is uh, it is 
frustrating and, and wonderful in, in lots of different ways, right? I mean, it is it is not a historical simulation, uh, but it, it they work so hard to achieve something that might be called um, authenticity or accuracy that uh, that, that absolutely uh, the game is is it, it, it shows you things and I, there are things I learn about history through the game. They're usually I, I often think of them as more trivia items, but still very interesting. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's interesting. We've got um, kind of a, I guess, I think I'm in the Middle Ages here uh, with mm-hmm. Germany mm-hmm. and just starting on a random map. Uh, the dif- difficulty level, I think, is a, a prince or warlord or something like that. I'm sure. just kind of messing around. Yep. And, you know, I think that the series uh, for Germany, it's, you know, it's kind of had uh, this longstanding issue, you know, which, you know, going back to the top, uh, you know, mentioning how Sid Meier uh, almost kept the German sieve <laughs> out of the yep. original game. It's hard to believe, but it really was something that he considered. And, you know, with the history of Germany and the Germans in the Civilization series, there's obviously an attempt in the game to avoid any association with the Second World War or with mm-hmm. Adolf Hitler or the Nazi Party. And this also, though, coming from a series that included people like Joseph Stalin and Mao Zedong, mm-hmm. you know, in the original yeah. game. So I'm wondering, given this long history now, you know, 30 plus years of the Germans in this series, what do you make of how Germany has been depicted in the series? And then what do you make about Civ Six and the way that sure. it depicts the Germans? So I think, first of all, I'm, I'm not fully convinced. I mean, yes, on the surface, they have tried to avoid uh, too close a, an association with the Second World War, with the Nazi regime, uh, and by extension, the, the crimes of the Nazi regime, the Holocaust particularly. But in, in, I, I did some looking back to remind myself, you know, on in uh, Civilization Three, uh, the specialty unit that the Germans get includes a Panzer. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Civilization Four, it includes a Panzer. In Civilization Five, it includes the Tiger. And in Civilization Six, it's the U-boat, mm-hmm. and it it's not clear. You know, the U-boat I th- is sort of mapped onto the early, and the way submarines are handled in the game, it's sort of uh, they're sort of splitting difference between your sort of 1910s and 1940s submarines uh, before the upgrade to the nuclear submarine. But in all of those, if you look at the unit picture for the Civilization Five, it's clearly a Tiger uh, tank in four it's it's very much looks like a panther tank in three this is interesting it's it's a the, and the, some of this is the quality of graphics you know it's yes. less yeah. and less detailed but it, it is absolutely uh it looks different and it may or may not be you know you can you can look at people who are much more interested in these details than i am on the internet and they'll say i think it's a panzer three uh and <laughs> so so there you go right so they're they're still connecting to the the world wars they they cannot uh and will not a- avoid it um, you know, the, uh, the, in addition to that, I think that, uh, and I, and this is not just think, but in, in earlier games, some of the built-in or, uh, expansion scenarios include a second world war. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there, there is a, there's a decision I think made by, uh, the, the, the game's creators at different points to, avoid uh looking too much like they want people to 
uh, cosplay mm-hmm. as as the as the Germans in World War II, but also making it very easy to or very uh, accessible. I think that's I, I don't want to be too harshly critical of of Sid Meier's and his collaborators. Sid Meier, see, so used to calling Sid Meier's Civilization that I want to add an S there. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I don't want to be too critical of that because I think he and his collaborators are not alone, right? There are tons of games that do this. Uh, And they certainly uh, are to be, I don't know if celebrated, but given credit for not offering Hitler Mm -hmm. as a leader. Um, But you're right to sort of raise the specter of well, or the, not the Spectre so much as the connection to, well, since the beginning, they've they've included these other uh, problematic leaders. Uh, and, and we could, if we look at all the leaders, you know, we can run into lots of uh, issues with their conduct. Uh, nothing, no one, I would say, as uh, horrible as Adolf Hitler, although an Olympics of, uh, <laughs> competitive Olympics of atrocity uh, purveyors is not something that's particularly interesting to me. Um so I, I think that's that that would be one critique or comment I would make. Uh, I also think that even in, in Civ Six with Frederick Barbarossa, right? He's he's got these various attributes. His unique ability is a militaristic one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the civilization, and in this game, since you if you're Barbarossa, you're Germany, and there's no nothing else. The civilization itself has expansionistic tendencies built into it, right? That that they can conquer city states. Uh, easy more easily uh, that uh, you add into that um, this this choice of Barbarossa is it, it does sort of skew towards the medieval period as as you are in, in your game or approximately in your game and suggest that that's sort of the in some ways I think when the game does that they sometimes tie it to okay that's going to be the time when you're really going to have your most powerful moment right especially um, with the rise and fall mechanic yep. the golden age and, idea Exactly. But, you know, but nevertheless, you know, they they want to include the Hanseatic League cities, this Hansa, uh, which replaces not the commercial district, mm-hmm. but the industrial district. Yep. And so it it comes in as a uh, as I think both. Yes. Historically, the label they've given it and the historical context they attach to it is medieval and early modern. But the mechanic is is very much this is the place that you want as many of your cities to have i would say yes if you're if you're if you're playing for almost any purpose right and it's very much an industrial so you again yes frederick barros is your leader but germany is going to have this has this advantage that it can and because you can get one extra district per city you can afford to build an industrial you know you don't have to make as many hard choices uh so it it still ends up creating a Germany that matches a sort of late 19th, early 20th, mid 20th century perception of a, a militarily and industrially powerful state or yeah. country or empire. Um, and I, I think, so I think in Civ Six, there's, there's some plus then the U-boat comes right at the tail end of that kind of phasing or historical phasing or right in the middle of it. Uh, they, they didn't go with the Panzer, uh, but uh, that's, that's not that important uh, in the comparison and they have in other ways. Right. Yeah. Um, so in other versions, so there's this sort of, I think that that comes through that they're, they're still kind of setting you up to run the, the civilization to conform to general perceptions of German activities. Yeah. And I, I've got a couple of follow-up questions for you. Yeah. Here. I mean, you know, one of them is more of a comment, you know, you look at here at yeah. the, uh, the entry, 
uh, for mm-hmm. Germany here in the Civilopedia. Uh, and it, you know, it makes some mention, well, there wasn't a Germany until uh, mm-hmm. Bismarck. And then it kind of goes into this medieval period. <laughs> yep. But then it never <laughs> ends back up talking about uh, anything that happens essentially after uh, Napoleon, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so yep. it's kind of this weird, very carefully worded uh, document here to you know, give you historical context for mm-hmm. Germany. And, and then similarly, when you look at this U-boat entry... Uh, it makes yeah. a mention here of World War One. A very yeah. brief mention that you know, oh, by the end of World War Two, um, but then you yeah. know, 1955. So just kind of, oh, just oh, I just accidentally kind of skipped over what had occurred <laughs> during yeah. the Second World War. I just, I look at this as a historian. I'm sure you do too, and say, oh, I, I see, I see what's going on here, and you know, that's the kind of the comment and the question I've got. Yeah. kind of relates to your your background with war games and I'm wondering mm-hmm. you know when it comes to war gaming obviously the Second World War is a huge indispensable part of modern war gaming and the history of war gaming and I'm wondering kind of putting the developers hat on for a moment if you were developing a game like this would it be kind of a, a gesture towards the war gaming community to include these kind of Units that are associated with the Second World War, like you'd mentioned, the Panzer Tank, yeah. uh, Tiger Tank, and the U-boat, as a way to say, "Hey, you know, we know what you want out of this." But then, when it comes to the actual Civ, kind yeah. of keeping that sort of buttoned up a little bit. I, I think you're right. I think that there's, uh, and and you know, I know, and and many of your listeners will know that the that there are uh, there. Are, Sort of, they're they're labeled as censorship rules, or there are um, standards and practice rules that Germany has uh, as to, to representations of the Second World War and and so forth. So some of this is the designers, and it's again not just in civilization uh, having to work around certain rules to get access to that that rich German market. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but but in war games, I mean, there, I think it is a sort of acknowledgement, and I think that if you for many consumers of civilization to avoid it is, is not, I I think I would be disappointed if the game didn't have some way of acknowledging that part of history Mm -hmm. with its, certainly with its claims uh, to be a historical game where you can, you can both change history, but you can also uh, echo it and move in, in parallel to it. Uh, So I, I think, it is very much a, a acknowledgement that they know that there are lots of players who are going to want to um, do what is the case in many strategic war games, but also in tactical war games, which is uh, refight battles that should have been won, mm-hmm. right? Or should have, should be in the biggest scare quotes we can come up with. <laughs> um, and you can see this again. Capital size a, scare quotes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm a... I'm a I'm a, I think comparatively a lot of the time, and I think about there are uh, many games for Waterloo, right? What if yes. Napoleon could have won at Waterloo? Yeah. Uh, what if the Operation Barbarossa could have been run the right way? Again, giant scare quotes in, quotes in that. And that right way always leaves out, of course, the activities of the, the Einsatzgruppen and the massive violence in the Partisan War, mm-hmm. so, which is linked to they're intimately interconnected with the with the Holocaust in the Soviet the, what was the Soviet Union or territories from the Soviet Union Soviet Union. So I, I think that the the interest in having World War II in these things is in these games is 
uh, cannot be disconnected. And while civilization offers other options, uh, I, I think it's rare that I've played a game where I don't end up feeling either forced to or choosing to engage in some sort of uh, program of conquest, either on a small scale or on a on a large scale. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, it, it's pretty well known that at a certain point in the game, it sort of um, funnels you towards a certain pursuit of victory options. I mean, even <laughs> to be really explicit, I, I just finished a game off last night where I was doing cultural victory, but the way that I finally got the cultural victory was by conquering the most powerful other civilization <laughs> because it was quicker to do that than to wait for the, the tourist numbers to as you do, flip. as you yeah. do, you know, no yeah. judgment this is a judgment. No, I, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's, I'm playing a game, but it, 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 uh, it certainly, um, it's very hard not to have a military element to the game. And even sometimes to wish that, sometimes to i think players will wish that the the ai fought better yeah right <laughs> that, that you could fight a, a quote real war mm-hmm. and not just the sort of um way you can outsmart them and maneuver them yeah right? so absolutely absolutely yep. and you know uh sid meyer himself revealed in his memoir that he likes to play as the romans when he mm-hmm. plays and so that's very kind of a another one of these original civs that has yeah. a lot of attributes and traits that are really military uh, focused and mm-hmm. you know a lot of their leaders have that kind of uh, military history and with the Germans here we've got Frederick Barbarossa who you've already yep. kind of hinted at as being kind of this uh, kind of weirdly shoehorned in medieval figure into a sieve mm-hmm. that is most commonly you know thought of as kind of a modern state you know even the civilopedia uh, makes that argument yep. and past civilization games have included Frederick the Great as the leader, uh, Civ mm-hmm. two gave you the option of including uh, Maria Theresa, and then also, of course, Bismarck. You know, it's kind of yeah. seen as the uh, maybe by many players. I'm assuming uh, would see them as kind of the standard uh, leader of this Civ. So, what do you make of Frederick Barbarossa as yeah. a representative figure for German history, but then also for this Civ in this game? Yeah, I, I think that. One thing to this point, and, and I reread that Civilopedia entry in this, like, there was no Germany. And there's kind of throughout the text in Civ Six, there's this sort of like, um, uh, and and I, I think this is some of the language of the, 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 the Civilopedia at this point. But there's a sort of um, sardonic approach and sort of like, oh, there's, you know, that the, some of these places couldn't be marked on a map if you could find a good map and things mm-hmm. like that. And these sort of this perspective uh that it it is a it is a point of um german historiography that i can't be on a podcast and not make this point to anyone who's listening that there is a germany (laughs) before 1870 (laughs) and that there was a sense that people were germans and lived together in some kind of country some kind of state uh that it didn't conform to sort of a, a the 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 normalized, you know, sense that what France or perhaps the United Kingdom are doing, and we should problematize those as well. Oh, of course. Um, but that, that it's, there's no real Germany <laughs> until 1870 is a false statement. You know, Frederick Barbarossa, you know, 300 years or so after him, they insert, you know, German into the name for the whole, the official name for the Holy Roman Empire, right? Mm-hmm. That this is, we are of the German people, right? Like, so there is some some statement, right? So that's that's that. But Frederick Barbarossa, to your question about him, uh, it's it's worth noting that on Civ two, the leader, the male leader, is Frederick the mm-hmm. Second, not Barbarossa, but is a 
uh, is is a pretty important German king of the of the uh, the, the is it the 12th century. Um, but uh, I haven't spared a thought uh, for Frederick II <laughs> since I learned uh, it in I think an undergraduate class about medieval Europe. You know, so it's this is not a person with any presence in American or or contemporary memory, right? Beyond people who might be, and I don't mean to throw any stones at people who study that um, that period, but Barbarossa at least has a has a better chance of people knowing who he is, which I think is an important choice when it comes to a country like Germany, right? Where there people are going to expect to know something about it. Uh, it's, it's one thing to be playing a country that Americans don't know much about and teach them about the leader. Mm -hmm. Um, but Frederick Barbarossa is, is not that. And then the medievalness, I, I appreciate that they looked elsewhere, right? That they thought, what other representation could we come up with? What other personality could we look to, uh, as inspiration? Uh, you know, Bismarck, Frederick the Great, both of those, uh, orient you towards Prussia, towards, uh, towards the uh, you know, the Frederick Great was not uh, king of any sort of pan-German or, or inclusive or wider German state, but certainly is in that history that we often learn. Uh, whereas, uh, and of course, Bismarck is the the unifier, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and then even the use of Maria Theresa is sort of this like until they spun the Austrians off as their own civilization in, in five, I think it was that that is this sort of greater German which. Uh, that that is an interesting choice because Barbarossa is that as well, right? It's a it's a Germany that is beyond the borders of 1870, right? Yes. <laughs> like, and that's an interesting decision that the game presents as presents him as a foreign uh, that German is foreign ruler in Italy, uh, which is certainly the the that conversation is worth having, but it's it's a little bit uh, it's very sort of. 20th 21st century thinking yes. about about states and how they functioned or governments um so that's that's one thing i think in the actual uh the actual things that barbarossa says you know when you meet him as a not as a ai player um and the way he speaks uh and his gestures you know i think one of the ones that they they do this task to make him a little bit comic um is he when he introduces himself he says you know i am the the king of i don't have the exact scripting but he says i'm the king of the 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 germans the the burgundians the welfs and many other places and he kind of just like does this he does this sort of like wrist roll uh, like he sort of like uh like his, rolls his hand uh like it's it's no big deal i think it's it's to me it plays as comic mm -hmm. uh which is fine and i appreciate some humor in the game but it it plays into uh, I think this this thing I observe in uh, American cultural attitudes towards Germany in, in our time is sort of uh, to deal with the fact that we have this very scary narrative of German history, rightly so, right? These very villainous representations in, in actual history to uh, kind of make them less scary by making them a little bit a little bit silly mm -hmm. um and so that he's this uh you know that that he, they're depicting him in his in his i would say his middle age and he's a little bit portly um mm -hmm. it looks a little bit like a ginger santa claus or something yeah and he's got yeah this this thick bright red beard i mean he looks he looks strong he looks dangerous but he also looks a little silly right and when he <laughs> speaks and and he does these things you aren't uh 
doesn't have the same effect as some other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that there's a there's there's some some choices being made there that are interesting that tell us about how uh, Americans uh, and and, uh, this is an international game, but how Americans and many others want to consume their Germans Mm -hmm. or their Germanness. Yeah. Yeah. It it is, it is a international game. You know, many, many players around the world play it, but it is still one that is developed uh, in -hmm. Maryland. You know, it's developed in the United States by a primarily American team. So, um, yeah, I think you're right. It's still, in many ways, even though it's kind of diversified its cast of characters, even though it has made some changes uh, with how it depicts the operation of civilizations and the conception of civilizations, mm-hmm. it's still one that kind of uh, presents a view of the world that I think, you know, it fits in with the mold of, you know, kind of grade school history uh, mm-hmm. that you get yeah. uh, throughout the United States. And, and you know, I'm I'm looking again at at this, you know, his his uh, leader page, and mm-hmm. this this uh, that you know they use Holy Roman Emperor to talk about military strength, and to talk about uh, that sort of that you know Barbarossa was a military leader, and like kings all across Europe, that was a core part of what he was expected to do. Uh, but it it downplays some of the the piety and the religious just cultural activity of of central europe uh in this period and this uh this i think they they may have and you know there's lots of things that go into design but they may have missed an opportunity to think about the relationship between faith and power mm-hmm. uh, faith and military power they, that could have been a different direction to go with that if you're going to use that label which is a good one right because it's got a just as a as a byword or catchphrase for some ability it's very evocative, right? People mm-hmm. kind of know what that is, but it's got these three words in it that we don't always see together. I mean, we always see them together because we see them together, but uh, they aren't words that come together in any other context frequently. Um, and there's sort of that opportunity is missing, which also leads to this, you know, the game, you know, says the default religion will be Catholicism, which of course in Barbarossa's time, it's what it would have been. Although uh, any scholar of uh, religious history uh, would point out that uh, scholars call it the Roman Church until mm-hmm. the Reformation, right? Mm-hmm. Because it is because there is enough change that happens after that. But when people think of Germans and their religion, they just as much think of Lutheranism or Protestantism. Mm-hmm. And there's a so I don't know how you shoehorn these things together, uh, but there's there's a segue there to who else they could have chosen as leaders, mm. right? Who else could have done this? And there's lots of directions to go. Uh, there's there's, you could have, you know, there is, uh, it's essentializing to suggest that the Germans of 1850 are the Germans of 500 BCE, mm-hmm. right? But there is some Central European culture that, and there are there are figures, uh, Arminius and others that you could have done. I mean, if you're going to do Boudicca, uh, you could do uh, one of these leaders and you could really tie the Germans back to an ancient time, uh, to a, a the sort of time frame of the the you know sort of into that group of romans babylonians egyptians greeks right these sort of um pre or late iron age at the best right um in uh institutions that's one thought the other would be uh someone like martin luther uh or if they they want to avoid a a specific religious leader uh there are certainly other cultural figures that could have been uh, contemplated. You could 
if, if you're willing to do it in other places, you could do it with the Germans as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, following on that, uh, you know, my last question here is, mm-hmm. as somebody who's an experienced Civ player and also a scholar, do you have any specific recommendations for the developers of Civilization going forward? I mean, I think we can yeah. expect the announcement of Civ Seven. Yeah. Uh, any month now, uh, certainly within the calendar year. And so I'm wondering, Jeremy, do you have any specific sure. ideas regarding either the Germans, like you had mentioned with leadership, yeah. or anything just in general about Civ itself? Yeah, well, you know, I, as I described, I, I came back to, came to Civ Six a little later than I would have liked to, waiting for the, the opportunity to replace a computer and play the game as it's meant to be played. So I'm, I'm catching up on the news, and I it was fairly recent news to me that Civ Six was done expanding. Uh, Six was basically done being uh, expanded, that they were moving on to it a little bit late because of the, the delay in actually starting up with the game. Uh, and one of the things that disappointed me about that was the sense that I'd seen in looking at the leaders, and I, I sort of teased the game out to myself, right? I started with the basic game and then added the expansions was that they were, they seemed to be doing, uh, and this was maybe just a misinformation from from the Greeks, was they were doing a male and a female leader, that they were doing, uh, at least doing some representation in a, at least in a gender binary. Um, and I, I sort of just dis- disappointed that, and it didn't always have to be a gender binary, but they didn't kind of go through every civilization and offer you two leaders mm-hmm. to work through, right? And to, to really open up the ways if you wanted to be you know, and as I've sort of suggested in this conversation, if you wanted to be the Germans of of Barbarossa, that as I've suggested are not that different from what the Germans of Bismarck might be, um, then, or if you wanted to be the Germans of some hypothetical, uh, you know, some hypothetical uh, 12th century bishop, right? Like, uh, and pursue an entirely different path. I think that uh, that is was a missed opportunity, and I I'm, I don't know if market. Uh, you know, if the, the demands of marketing and programming drove that, or if they never really planned to follow through on what I thought was a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was a disappointment, and I'd like to see them contemplate that more. Uh, I've, I've really been impressed over the life of the game with the, the efforts they've made to acknowledge that civilization, at least implicitly or explicitly, civilization is not just a Western thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's all kinds of problems with that term because it is a westernized term but that they've uh brought in uh civilizations in the game's terminology from uh sub-saharan africa from south and southeast asia from the americas uh, that they've made this effort i think that's important and so continuing in that vein of finding ways to use this i think a really powerful tool they have for history education or at least history information uh, to find a way to kind of uh, leverage that to help help us a little bit, those mm-hmm. of us in the historical profession. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, There's a, there was some talk several years ago about a, a program called CivEDU uh, that mm-hmm. would, you know, come up with ways to incorporate civilization into the teaching of uh, world history, world cultures mm-hmm. in, I think, high school, grade school level. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if anything ever came of that. I haven't read anything about it in the past yeah, no, four years that's, that's, or so. I haven't. That's new information to me. I, I'm not surprised because I think that there there are many, many uh, elements of the game that do convey a, a sort of basic understanding of 
what goes into state building or whatever. Mm -hmm. I, I think, but to think about my biggest point of critique or place where I'd like them to think hard about it and talk to people about it is this, this, uh, that the game has, uh, that it treats, I guess the best way to think of it is the place of fascism in the game mm. that we've, we talked about world war two and we talked about the, the Nazis and Nazi period of German history, but, but one of the ways, again, that they, they sort of evade that is by using the, the semi-generic term fascism. Mm -hmm. And in uh, Civ Five, they, they call it order, right? They, this, this theme. And the game in its, its final stage, generally speaking, is, is pretty... Um, it's actually, you know, theoretically the game, you're supposed to be getting into the, the 21st century at the tail end of the game. But in that, you're still locked into these government types that are uh 1920s 1930s like the three choices for modernity right you can be <laughs> you can be totalitarian is what they call it in this one right you can be totalitarian uh or then they've got suffrage which is the um which is essentially the liberal democracy mm -hmm. uh and then they've got class struggle mm -hmm. which is uh which is the the socialist right or the communist and those that's an that that argument uh, historians would say perhaps is not settled, right? In fact, recent history shows it's not as settled as we thought it was. But uh, that is a 1930s argument about how to organize the world. Mm -hmm. um, that uh, then it, it's so this this choice to include this it it continues to suggest to uh, I think it suggests to to consumers and to we if we call those if we think of those people as almost students learning from the game mm -hmm. suggests that there's a sort of there's a trinary path that is just the natural way that the world would was going to go and will go uh and that it it makes them all somewhat equivalent mm -hmm. uh and it suggests that uh there is of course a active argument about the uh equivalency of communism under stalin and uh nazism under hitler uh but there certainly isn't the same kind of argument about liberal democracies mm -hmm. for all of their flaws for and all of the crimes yeah. they've committed yeah. exactly and so and i think this is another one of these ways where the game kind of opens the door to a little bit of cosplay right which maybe it's just a game right and that's maybe it's just a game <laughs> but i'm not always certain it is just a game uh and and so being in, in this world we now live in where so many people are consuming uh, the world and learning about the world through digital media and through the internet, uh, these kinds of spaces are ones that uh, can, can lead to a, a fairly immature understanding of, of history and of the, uh, and of, 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 to be frank, of, of uh, extreme right-wing ideologies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, that's a big reason why this show exists, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know that the game could exist. I, you know, it's, they're in a tough spot, but I, and I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they have intensive, deep conversations about this every time they come back to it. Uh, but it nevertheless is one that is probably worth having continuously and worth having with, uh, with experts right mm -hmm. and i'm not uh, i'm not pitching myself right <laughs> wanted to call me up i'd have a conversation but I, with 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 people who know 
who know more about it than even the content designers on games yeah. usually do. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of these content designers, I want to backtrack that a little bit and be clear that I know they do a lot of hard research and they look real, they work really hard at this stuff, but uh, that, that research can also include talking to other people yeah. and learning from them. Yeah. So I do think it's interesting. You know, we talked about uh, this uh, kind of steady progress and the way that it, it kind of cuts you off. Uh, at least mm-hmm. in terms of government forms, uh, you know, into uh, the modern era, you know, when you get to things like suffrage and totalitarianism mm-hmm. and whatnot. Uh, but it is interesting how this process, it, it, it kind of very closely mimics the tech tree <laughs> and how yeah. the tech yep. tree uh, does the same thing. And, you know, for many, many years, um, the kind of static response of scholars when they were considering civilization was to look at the teleology uh, oh, yeah. provided by the tech tree, the determinism provided by the yep. tech tree. And that's been opened up, I think, quite a bit over the various entries of the series. But it is interesting to me that this kind of inclusion now of civics and governments and ideologies, it, it follows much the same model. And, you know, maybe when it comes to the series that the kind of ingrained design principles of Civ make it very difficult to break free from this kind of deterministic uh, path into the future. Well, and, and what they've done with, and I, I don't remember the vocabulary they used for it, but the, the various slots that you can fill in. Your government gives you a number of slots, but then you have policies. Um, and I will say, one of the critiques I would offer is that, you know, they these three governments that they give, the end game governments, mm-hmm. that uh, that really you, you have... And they, and of course, in this game, they map onto like there's always, right? There's always the militaristic one, the intellectual or cultural one, and the uh, religious one. Or, or they kind of the religious one gets left behind a bit, but this sort of um, this this three three piece, right? Mm-hmm. Three piece structure. And what I what I was going to say is, you know, after 1945, uh, liberal democracy and socialism create some new forms that are different from the ones being offered in the 1930s. I mean, the most obvious one being the social democratic welfare states of, uh, of Western Europe and the United States to a certain extent. And the, that they do these policy slots does make that at least some thinking in that range possible. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you could say, okay, well, I'm, I'm a, I'm going to do, um, uh, I don't remember what they call it. I'm going to do the, 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 uh, I'm going to do this uh, uh, representative, this, what is it? Synthetic democracy. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying to read on your screen. <laughs> Corporate, Synthetic technocracy. Uh, uh, okay. Oh, those are the later ones. Yeah. yeah. So you've got, I'm going to do democracy and, but I'm, but I'm going to use some of these, these special powers that come through the, the communism mm-hmm. path and you can sort of achieve maybe some, some better. And I think that is a really strong gameplay innovation. And in fact, uh, a reflection on that, that you're, you, you should you, governments make leaders make choices and within the framework they've got right yeah. and so you can sort of picture it but no the the, the teleology of the game is always challenging it of course is a colonial game like mm-hmm. it's, it's a colonial game it is the you know the 4x games are all uh colonial and when we talk about ultimately conquest is is inherent to whatever you're going to do uh you have to actually really you have to actually sort of close off uh an entire set of tools to pursue that mm-hmm. uh, to avoid it i should say and uh and the, the games 
sense that you know the the western technology path is the right technology path uh and in fact it's the only technology right there no other technologies exist um that that's part of the the critique that i'm not new to the table on that one that one is a a standing long-standing one which yeah i think is in some ways a good reason why some people reject the game yeah right like they just reject it and i can understand and sympathize yeah all right well on that note i think that does it for this episode of civs 101 jeremy thank you so much for joining me oh thank you bob this was great really fun to talk about this game 